Today's guest on the podcast is Kia Brown. She's a disability rights advocate and creator of the hashtag disabled and cute and cute. She is. I am a complete awkward nut on this podcast, and I want you to know why. Because of the same reason that able-bodied individuals are completely awkward and weird and inappropriate and misplaced when they are faced with interacting with or walking by disabled individuals. And this podcast is not going, I mean, it was totally fun and I enjoyed it, but it's going to make some of you uncomfortable. And that is precisely what I think needs to happen with um, exactly what Kia is doing. Her book, The Pretty One, is out August 6th, and it's a heartbreaking but riveting and funny collection of essays of her life as a disabled Black woman in America. I could edit this podcast to probably take out some of my awkwardness and my awkward questions, but I think that is exactly why this podcast needs to be heard. Because so many of us don't understand this simple point about disabled individuals. They are also humans, (laughs) just like we are. And every single one of us is one step away from disability. Every single able-bodied individual is one step away from being disabled. And when you look at the world through that lens, it changes everything. And what Kia is doing is trying to smash stigmas around disability. And I'll admit, as many disabled friends that I have, and as much as I am involved in the disabled community, I was ignorant to a lot of concerns that she has, a lot of the trouble that disabled individuals face just getting through life. So (laughs) when this podcast doesn't seem as polished as perhaps some of my other ones, and I'm not one to say that I'm very polished anyway, but I I did, I kept a lot of the um, editing out of this one. I don't edit my podcast that much anyway. But normally, I might edit some of the pauses, the stuttering, (laughs) the awkward repetition, and I kept it in because I think it's important for us to hear the hesitation and the awkwardness that able-bodied individuals speak to other humans who are just like them as humans, but just with, with bodily disabilities. So, Kia's new book, The Pretty One, She's Disabled and Cute, hashtag disabled and cute. And she really is a wonderful, wonderful interview in person, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I'll get off my soapbox now, and I hope you all enjoy Kia Brown. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Kia Brown. Hi, Kia. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm oh, so excited, excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to chat with you and about your new book, Pretty One, which comes out August 6th, very soon. Yes, we're so close to pub date. I'm so 
anxious and nervous and excited and proud and i feel all of the things yes all of the things that is probably the best way to describe (laughs) the publication (laughs) process yes pretty much yes so what inspired you to write this book let's talk about your your background and the story and and yeah just tell me all the things what's so funny is that like i've always known that i wanted to write a book i knew at exactly age eight that I wanted to write a book. I was a very early reader and I read a lot of age appropriate books and also age inappropriate books. So I <laughs> Me read too. I used to hide Daniel Steele. <laughs> so like right. So I read I read a lot of Nora Roberts yeah. and Sidney Sheldon and some early James Patterson. Shout out to Sundays at Tiffany's that he co wrote with um, what I believe her name is like Gabriella or something. Uh-huh. I apologize for not knowing her name. She's just as important, I promise. <laughs> um, but I read a lot of like, you know, books that were much older. So I didn't technically understand some of the more, you know, advanced and romance parts, but I always knew that I wanted to write a book. And so for me, fiction was going to be first. Fiction is my first love. Um, I think there's something so magical about the world and the art of fiction. But I am a person who wants to write across genre. And a lot of my audience knows me as um, a nonfiction essay writer mm-hmm. on top of being a journalist. So when I sat down with my agent, Alex Slater, shout out to him, of Trident Media Group, we decided that, you know, maybe I will do this essay collection first because it was going to happen either way. It was just about the order with which it happened. And for me, I felt like this book is a really good introduction into who I am as a person and a writer and the stories I want to tell, um, you know, not only in nonfiction, but in fiction as well. So I think this was a great way for me to introduce myself to the world, but also introduce my art to the world yes. through telling, you know, my own stories. Yes. So I underlined, it's interesting because I have a book coming out in December and it, mm. the introduction to my book starts out um, with telling a story of old pictures that I had of myself. Mm. And when I was reading your book, um, you have a line in there. I look at old pictures and see a girl whose smile was wide and face was full, but who didn't see her beauty. And I have like, it's not the same line, but it's very similar. It was like, I didn't see it then. I didn't know it then. I didn't know anything about who I was. Yeah. It was lost. And then I can look now and I'm like, man, that, that was wasted cuteness. <laughs> right. right. You're like, ooh, you look so cute. You didn't even know it. Right. What a what a trip. Right. Um, I think it's so funny because if we didn't, if we knew then what we know now, we wouldn't have stories to tell. So but funny. at the same time, it's like, ooh, girl, I wish that I could go back and just give you a hug because... Um, I really spent a lot of time being hard on myself when I was super cute. I just didn't know it. Right. Um, so I wish I could be like, oh, girl, I wish you could go back in that moment and not criticize this picture immediately after you saw it because you looked good. <laughs> right, right. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. How are you different? <laughs> uh, me? Yeah. I'm so different in so many ways. So many um, ways. But I think the biggest difference that I have with a lot of people in the in um, you know my world is that I'm a black disabled woman. I have cerebral palsy. 
and it affects the right side of my body, which means that, like, I have slower reaction times and delayed motor skills, and I walk with a limp. Um, so for me, being in public spaces and a lot of able-bodied center spaces, people tend to stare and gawk as if me limping is this, like, unbelievable thing. People are very, um, they're not shy mm. about their amazement of seeing me out and living my life and being a person in society. And I think that this book is a way for me to be like, okay, well, if you're going to look, I'm going to give you something to look at. Yes. I'm going to tell you what you're looking at. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to tell you exactly what you're looking at. And I'm going to step into the light that you're forcing on me. Because I think I spent so long trying to be invisible and trying to tuck myself away in the hopes that people would just sort of leave me alone. But I think now I'm at a place where I know there's something special about me and it's not because I'm disabled and it's not despite disability. It's in tandem with it. Um, so I think that took a lot of real growth, but I do think that I'm finally at a place where it's just like, all right, if you're going to look, you're going to look, but I'm going to look cute while you're looking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I want to be super down to earth on this podcast. I want to talk about, so if I say anything stupid, you have permission to say, Meredith, that was stupid. And here's why. Okay. Um, Because I think, you know, we need to bring the stupidity to light and I'm sure I've got some. And um, so, yeah. yeah. And I, and I think it's important to talk about it. So, Let's talk about kind of the earliest memory you have of when you learned you were different. The very first one I have is from a middle school cafeteria. This kid, and I read about it in the book, this kid, he started um, following me around the lunchroom, mocking the way that I was walking. And I had no idea at first. Um, My friends were the ones that pointed it out to me. And this was in middle school. Um, So they had pointed it out to me. And then I went into the bathroom and I watched myself walk for the first time. And that's when I realized that I was different from my classmates and from the other people in my life was because somebody introduced me to that part of myself through mocking. Um, and then another time, I was also 12, you know, minding my business at the CD store looking for an Avril Lavigne CD. And someone came up to me and they were like, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I'll pray for you. And oh, I'm jeez. Right. Right. <laughs> and I'm 12. And I'm just like, I was here looking for that Avril Lavigne CD. And this lady just came up to me and she was just like with tears in her eyes, like, oh, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I'll pray for you. And I was like, well, darn, like what? You're like, what's wrong with me is I want my Avril Lavigne seat. <laughs> right. Like I was just here minding my business and, and here you come. And so I think those early instances of people pointing out my disability in a negative way really impacted how I then saw it for the majority of the rest of, you know, my life thus far. And it took me a really long time to set those things aside and get to this place. Um, because whew, I just think that people don't realize what an impact even their good intentions might have on someone. Because I'm sure that lady thought she was saying something so profound and just, you know, she was just lifting me up. 
and she just wasn't. But I think that she believed she was. And like for that kid who was making fun of me, like I'm sure he hasn't thought about it at all since we were kids. I don't even know where he is or what he's doing with his life. Like he's a grown man now, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. And I think that that just goes to show what it's like to be a marginalized person in society and have people um, who can often be marginalized themselves point out to you something that they don't like and then you internalize that dislike to mean that you shouldn't like it either. I think um, one of my friends, she's a psychotherapist, she mentioned, she posted on Instagram something about the impact does not negate the intent. And, and right. that seems so important here like the woman who came up to you in the cd store just because she meant something it doesn't take away the impact on you Mm -hmm. i think we give people a lot of you know excuses or passes because oh they didn't mean it but that's what i think sometimes we have to figure out how to correct right they got to start knowing that their well intentions are sometimes pretty bad (laughs) right right we have to know that like intent is not an excuse for bad behavior right so what are some of the things that you've encountered? Like, this is a platform, right? Your book is a mm-hmm. platform. This microphone is a platform. What are some things that you wish you could say to people? Like, please don't say this to someone. Please don't say this to me. Like, let's let's talk about those things right now while... Ooh, yes. <laughs> let's okay. List them. Let's, let's right. Them let's do this. Yeah. So first of all, don't come up to people and tell them that you're praying for them. Um, because even though I believe in God... And I do, and I love him. Shout out to him. I also think (laughs) that, like, not everybody does. And so don't push that on everybody and say that you think that you're, you're praying for somebody who isn't, who isn't asking for your prayer. Don't just assert yourself in situations where you believe that a disabled person needs help when they're telling you that they don't need help. Ask first, and if they say no, you leave them alone. Also, don't say, hey, so when was the accident? Or hey, Oh, I get that a lot. I get that a lot. It's a lot of store clerks. A lot of older people say, so when was your accident? I'm like, what was accident? Or, hey, what happened to you? What's wrong with you? I once had an Uber driver say, oh, hi, how are you? Or No, he didn't even say, hi, how are you? Excuse me. He said, um, so what's wrong with your leg? As soon as I get into the car. And I said, what? He said, what's wrong with your leg? And I said, and I was like taken aback, but I was like, I have cerebral palsy. And he's like, Oh, well, it's good that, you know, you're like getting out of the house and living your life. And I said, well, I only have one, so I better live it. And he's like, yeah, well, I guess. So don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Just, I think, I think treat people. It sounds so cheesy, but treat people the way you want to be treated. We are human beings first and foremost. We aren't, you know, your, your like basis for questions. We aren't your sounding boards. We aren't. Um, the people that you can use as good deeds for the day. I think you, you just have to really stop yourself from trying to be a hero for somebody else. And don't come to us and say, so I saw a video of such and such a person with such and such a disability doing such and such a thing. So why can't you? Or I saw this disabled person doing this thing and I feel so good about myself. Like that's inspiration porn. Don't use disabled people to make you feel good about your life and what you have. I just feel like when we use human beings as markers for, you know, um, relief about the things that we do or don't have, 
we stop seeing those people as human beings. Because, okay, you don't walk with a limp, or you're not a wheelchair user, or you don't use a cane or another mobility aid. That doesn't make those of us who do or those of us who don't less than. It just means that we use those things to survive, and you don't have to use us as some sort of, like, horror story or cautionary tale. Because a lot of people, specifically on... Um, Twitter tend to say that, like, I could never raise a disabled child or I could never do that. And it's like, when you look at disability as the world's worst option, you're treating those people who then get older as the world's worst outcome. And we're not the world's worst outcome. We're literally, we're just not. And I think that a lot of times... It's about getting, I shouldn't have to tell you that the disability community is one that anybody can join at any point in their life, no matter who they are or what they've done in their life. Oh, to that get is so up. important. Like, pause right. there. We can. We are all like one second away from that. But I shouldn't have to tell you that to right. un- for you to right. understand that I'm a human being and you should treat me with respect. But for some reason, that doesn't occur to, to people. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't occur to people. And so why? I have why? no idea. I have no idea, but I wish it did. Because I think that we're never going to be where we need to be as a society and as a world when we're still treating an entire subgroup of people and a lot of other marginalized groups of people who fall under these multiply marginalized umbrellas like they're less than human because they're different than the able-bodied all the time without chronic illness ideal. I'm trying to ask profound questions, but I'm just kind of a goofy person. So No, it's fine. <laughs> I'm just taking a long pause to... I'm so thankful to have you on because I want to talk about all of this. And I feel so awkward talking about this, not talking to you. Like you and I at the core have the same like concerns, the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, reading your book, it's like, oh, yeah, I totally. I mean, we're the same type of person. Mm -hmm. But then when I think about how to formulate a question that brings these issues you know, to be helpful, I feel like an idiot. And so I wonder, you know, if part of it is people just don't know what to do. And, and, and we need to just say, quit trying to do anything and just treat me like you would treat anyone else. Yes, pretty much. I mean, that's, that's literally it. Full stop. Like don't doing it right here. Like don't treat me with these soft and tender and, you know, um, glass gloves. I'm a human being. I'm a person. And I would just like the respect and the care that you give to somebody else. I don't need, you know, the constant, you know, constant apologies or the constant, like, the constant, like, second-guessing yourself. I think a lot of people are just so concerned about getting it wrong that they're not even trying in the first place. And that's why we are where we are, because nobody is even trying because they're so petrified of getting it wrong. And then on the other side of that, it's just that... Some people simply don't care. And we have to get people to care um, enough for change to happen. And that's so frustrating. But you do. We have to. We can't do it alone. So 
we need other people to can i curse give a damn yes you can curse okay absolutely we just need What's other a people? life without cursing honestly oh <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I'm proud of myself. For, I've only doing, have only done it once so far, because usually I'm just like, wow. No, just, please. Oh. But this um, book has bullshit in the title. It's fine. Love it, but yeah, I just, I think that there's so much work to be done, and it can't be done by just me or like the community itself. It has to be done by everyone, whether you know somebody in the community or not. Right. I think it just it has to be done by people who want to care about other people so is it exhausting to like walk into a public space and think okay here's a sea of people 10 percent of them are going to do this stupid thing 10 percent are going to ignore me 20 percent are going to be ridiculously trying to be helpful like what does a sea of people look like for you it's really a mixed bag like you said i think it depends on where i am um i get a lot of hostile treatment at like in certain places really so yeah so like in airports um because i'm a full-time walker except for airports because walking long distances really tires out my legs so i request wheelchair assistance from gates to gate because it just makes it that much easier so my legs don't get tired and i'm not missing my flights but when people see me get out of that wheelchair they lose their shit. They don't, they don't, they can't quite understand that some, that there are people who are ambulatory wheelchair users, that there are people who use wheelchairs sometimes, not all the time. I think that people get angry because they think that I'm gaming some system, but I'm like, no, I really need this because trust me, I've tried walking from gate to gate, especially in really big airports. And it literally has ruined me for days afterward. That um, is mind-boggling to me, Kia. So people are people. It depends on where I am. Yeah. Um. I know that wherever I go, I'm gonna catch at least four people staring. At least, and they're usually adults. Um. And they're never subtle about it. And I think even if they were, it would be weird. I just think that, of course, we have this natural inclination to look, you know, at something, at someone or something really quickly, but. People don't look and then look away. They stare. And I just, sometimes I look at them and I'm like, I want to say like, what is it that is, you know, so breathtaking to you? I know this outfit is cute. I know that I'm cute. <laughs> but I That's also right. know, right. But I also know that you're not looking at me. Like I can see where your line of sight is going. And I just, I want to know why people have such a weird response to disability. Um, because I think on the one hand, they'll look, but they'll tell their children to look away as though we're like, you know, monsters or we're the scary thing they can't bear to keep their eyes on. And I think that that's also teaching children that like disability is bad and it's scary and you shouldn't look at it. But it's like, you feel free to. So why not teach your kids um something about disability that isn't about like hey i just spent 20 minutes staring at this girl in the mall who was simply just trying to buy a dress um but you know like i think sit uh, sit your kids down and talk to them about the fact that like there are people in the world with disabilities and that doesn't make them any less than or anything right. other than you or me it just means they're different and different doesn't always mean bad and i think um, a lot of it too is 
is just putting them in situations where they ha- get to meet disabled individuals. I mean, we, a good friend of mine is Kyle Peace with the Kyle Peace Foundation, and they do Marine Corps Marathon every year with wheelchair pushers, and they have like hordes of people, and they do the Publix Half Marathon. But it's a bunch of different, it's a wide spectrum of disabled individuals and able-bodied mm-hmm. individuals working together. And they're good friends of mine, but I had my kids be involved with the foundation like we'll go to races and um and then i was a pusher for marine corps in 2017 but having the kids around it it makes it less i don't i don't want to say scary or stigmatized but they just get used to it which is the whole point you want yeah and and i've noticed um i have very kind kids because of it because they were around and they got to meet you know kids their age who were just different but they like the same things they like to play Fortnite, and um that was really a good thing that we were able to do with our kids that i wasn't exposed to when i was young and wish i had been and it does it makes a difference because it it helps them re- it helps them understand the world when they get i think when they get older they understand that like okay there are people who don't look like me but it doesn't make them any less than because so often when we shelter kids from the realities of the world we're sheltering them from the reality when they when it comes time for them to to be in that reality so that they they go into these sort of situations completely unaware of the world at large because we kept them in bubbles. Um, so for me, I just feel like what people don't realize is that first of all, it's not on disabled people to teach your kids or you about disability. It's on you to do the work. If a disabled person doesn't want to answer your questions, then don't act like that makes them a terrible person because they don't want to stop and answer your questions. You have to do the work yourself sometimes. And for me, um, I just get frustrated when I think about the fact that we live in a world where people are fine staring but not actually doing the work to educate themselves on what it means to be disabled or on what it means to live in a world that is inaccessible for people like me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think that people need to dig deeper. And I really do hope that my book helps people realize where their own um, where their own through line stops and starts and where they need to work on things and, and where they can grow as people and grow as, you know, a person. Right. So when you said accessibility, I think that's a huge thing that, um, able-bodied individuals don't necessarily realize just day-to-day challenges that you encounter. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, whenever I go into a room, I have to survey it to see, you know, is there railing broken? Is there an elevator? Is there somewhere where I can sit if my legs get tired? So whenever I'm in a room, I'm surveying to see if there's chairs, railings, elevators, if there is, you know, just places for me to rest because my body will need it. And I think a lot of times we think about like, you know, um, specifically stairs as like, you know, the small stairs. So there's like five or six stairs, but it's like three of those. That's a lot for people with disabilities. Right. Um, or that's a lot for people who fatigue easily. And I think that when, when most people enter a room, they're not thinking about, oh, there's a chair that I can sit in when I need it. Because most yeah, you people said that in the book that you have a long relationship with chairs. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love chairs because... Right. 
I spend so much time in them because I spend so much time needing to rest. And we do live in a culture that is um, very obsessed with, you know, the quote unquote hustle and working hard and pushing past this pain that's supposed to make us better in the long run. And I do believe that we have to push ourselves, but I also believe that we often go too far. And for me, chairs are this necessity. They're not just this thing that, you know, is a running joke, although I do make a few jokes about it in the book. Yeah. But I do think that, like, when I enter a room, I have to think about these things because I have to think about my well-being. And so often when you're in the mall and they have those uncomfortable benches or when you're in rooms that have the, you know, like, what are they called? Like the fake aluminum chairs, like all these uncomfortable oh, things yeah. that you can only sit on for a moment, for like a moment. And you're like, I'm in so much pain that you sometimes wish you stayed home because you didn't realize that it would be this hard just to be in a public space and go out somewhere where you belong because you're a human being. And it's supposed to be a public space, but it's not for everyone when it's not designed to cater to everyone. And I think that a lot of people don't realize how inaccessible the world is until they injure themselves. So like if somebody gets a broken leg, then they're like, oh shoot, this place isn't as, you know, accessible right. as I thought. Or you'll see something outside where it's like, oh, watch your step. Or it's just a little step up. But I'm like, a wheelchair user couldn't get in there, you know, or like a, a wheelchair user can't go on those three or four steps that you're just saying, oh, it's no big deal. Like a lot of buildings in, you know, the world aren't really ADA um, compliant. And we're at a place where it's like we can complain, but it's not guaranteed that they'll fix these things because it's not really being enforced in the way that it should be. So accessibility really matters to me for my livelihood, but also for the people um, in my life who I love who also have those same sorts of um, accessibility issues or people who I don't even know who have those same accessibility issues. Cause I feel like for me talking about it with the platform that I do have will hopefully bring light to it, to people who hadn't even thought about it before. Right. And speaking of the platform, you created the hashtag disabled and cute that went viral. Yeah. My baby, my first baby. Awesome. Let's <laughs> talk about that a little bit. So I, um, in February 12th of 2017, I created the hashtag because at the end of 2016, I think it was like December 27th, I woke up and I was feeling really good about myself for the first time in my life, really. And I didn't look great. I mean, I had like the... You know, like the crust around my mouth and my hair was a mess, but I looked in the mirror and I was like, you're kind of cute. And so I was expecting that feeling to kind of dissipate and go away as it often did throughout my life. But by February 12th, I was like, I still feel this way. Here's this thing that I'm going to do to commemorate. So I posted like four pictures and I was like, I'm disabled and cute. And if anybody else wants to join in on this hashtag, they can't. So then I left Twitter and I came back and it was trending. And then by the end of the week, we went viral and then we went global. 
and people just started sharing their own stories of, of self-love and how they found themselves in a place where they thought they were cute too and, or where they were working on figuring that out and trying to, um, celebrate themselves and each other. And I think that like that hashtag gave people permission to say, I'm enough in this body. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, we're told only a certain type of body is good enough. Only a certain type of body is beautiful. But I think disabled and cute kind of started the the trend of saying no. Um, this other body, these other bodies, are good enough as well. And it's not a competition. It's just an addition to the conversation on self love. And so I'm really really proud of it because I think that it allowed me to get to a place where I could write this book and get to a place where I could tell my own story and my own journey toward self-love. And I think without it, I wouldn't be where I am. And I'm very proud of what I've done with it and what people have seemed to have taken from it. Yeah. As much as you love pop culture, how is the media getting the view of disability wrong? Oh, they're getting it so wrong. It is, it is just bad. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so bad. Um, a lot of mainstream media and pop culture view disability as the world's worst possible thing. Shock and horror. I just like, so we never make it to the ends of movies. We never make it to the ends of books almost. Like there's these movies like, um, Million Dollar Baby and I love Hilary Swank forever and ever amen but million dollar baby and me before you where it's like these characters hate themselves and it's like they die because they they would rather die than be disabled and they would rather they would rather cease to exist than live in a disabled body that's so harmful and um i love jane the virgin but i remember at some point spoiler alert michael one of the characters was he got shot and there was a surgery and the doctor came out and they were like he might be paralyzed for the rest of his life and all the other characters were just (gasps) they were just so in shock and they were such in horror and they started crying and you could just see the pain on their face and i understand that that's a really big transition but what often happens in disabled narratives is that either one, you get a magical cure where you were never disabled in the first place or two disabled bodies are not worth anything. We're killed before anything even um, we're killed before the end of the movie. We never fall in love. We never have any sort of happy ending. We never get anything good. We're just there to sacrifice, to be a sacrifice to the able bodied character. And, it's so hard to love a thing that doesn't love you back. I'm hoping to change that. I know that Ryan O'Connell has the Netflix TV show special that I absolutely adored in its first season. And I can't wait for season two. I mean, there was speechless on ABC. It had its own issues. Um, it was very white, but they canceled that. And I know that Superstore has Garrett mm-hmm. um, on, on NBC. He's great, but the issue there is that he's played by an able-bodied actor. And the issue with that is that even disabled actors aren't able to tell their stories because they're being casted by disabled. They're being, these stories are being casted 
toward able-bodied actors. And there's an issue with that always happening where an able-bodied person will receive the role of a disabled person and they'll get accolades and awards because it's seen, it's so inspiring that they would dare to, you know, sit in a wheelchair for a few hours and then they'll call lunch and they'll get out of the wheelchair and go on about their lives. But what happens is these disabled actors aren't even being able to tell their stories and bring something nuanced and beautiful to a role that comes with living in that actual experience. Um, so there's that issue. And I think a lot of times with pop culture and in loving it, I feel like to critique it is to love it even deeper because mm-hmm. there's so many things that need to be changed is that when we see disability, we see it as only white guys who are wheelchair users. And that's not the reality of the disability community. Because I'm a black disabled woman who doesn't use mobility aids. And I have so many stories to tell that I think would be perfect for movies and TV. I was just going to say, let's tell, tell me a story where you're the star. (laughs) Right. Like I just, I mean, that's, that's always been another big dream of mine is to tell a story for TV and to tell a story, tell it right on a movie. I think. We just have to change what we think disability is and what it can be. And it's not just about, you know, our trauma and our pain and our sadness. And I do discuss those things very heavily in the book because I think they're an important part of my journey. But they're not everything. My biggest... Your book's very funny. I mean, we're talking heavy stuff, but your book's very funny, too. So everyone needs to know that, too. It's a great read. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, Yeah, I just... I think that this book... It was very important for me to write as well because I wanted people to see the other side of it. I wanted people to leave this book knowing that the girl on the cover was still alive, that she got to create her own possibilities, that she got to try to find her own happy ending. And I think um, so often we only ever see the opposite. So for me, this book is a revolution because I want to change the way people see disability. And I want to change the stories we tell in the pop culture that I love so much. Right. I think one of the things that is important is learning to attribute the proper words to the disabled community. One of the things that I learned from getting to know Kyle Peace, and he's a triathlete. And so he's he does these Ironman triathlons with his brother and the amount of pain and energy that it takes him to do the events is the same if not worse than his brother and so mm-hmm. like the stereotype that disabled individuals are weak oh yeah is like so incredibly misguided because it's actually they're stronger right <laughs> if not twice three times as strong because not only does it take that much more energy to just do the day-to-day task, but the amount of pain, like you mentioned, just sitting in a chair, right? I mean, the strength you have to have and, and the idea that you're stereotyped as weak is something that has got to just drive you insane. It does. Because I think people, like you said, have this idea of what disability is and I have to work so hard sometimes to get through a day when I'm in so much pain and I'm like, I still have stuff to do. So I have to push through it. And I think that people don't realize how much energy it takes 
just to be in the world as a disabled person, especially when you enter an inaccessible room. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, you're right, they, they have this just belief that we are moochers off of a system and we are weak and we can't possibly be doing anything worthy or whatever. But the fact of the matter is disabled people are doing amazing things. And it's not like we have to to matter. I want to make that clear. We don't have to be doing these things. I think right. People are so tight. People tie everything like worth into work and what we're doing or whatever. But I think that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is people, disabled people are doing amazing things and we work really hard but we often have to work three and four times as hard because we have to because of the way that our bodies are you know made and the way that our bodies are you know i guess wired function the way that our bodies function mean that we're working twice as hard three times as hard four times as hard to do things that people might see as mundane or everyday things or not that hard at all um we're working so hard to get them done because we want to right and and it's never just as easy as you know oh i'll just throw my hair up in a ponytail or i'll just tie my shoe real quick or i'll just you know zip up that jacket or i'll just close that jar or i'll just pick up that box or pick up those boxes or pick up that pile of clothes. It's never that easy. And I think when people can get out of their own heads and get off of their own biases and beliefs that everybody is like theirs, then we'll be in a better place. So what does a perfect day look like for you where you are in a world that treats you like everyone else and ev- and everything is accessible. Like what would that day look like? Like let's pretend you're, you're walking into a mall and it's utopia. Oh my God. Okay. Let's, this what is, is, what is this day like? This is like anything at all that I want. Yeah. At all. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm walking into a mall, right? It's the best mall. It's chairs everywhere, really comfortable benches, just wherever I look, you know, I mean enough for me to walk through the mall, but I mean like they're just, everywhere they're cute colors you know there's dark hardwood floors there are cute purses to my left cute (laughs) cute clothes to my right there's paramour on the speakers ahead of me there's just um there's Haley williams and the boys in one of the stores just waiting to hug me and take some selfies and then further up the mall there is an ice cream shop and it's just got butter pecan ice cream with peanut butter right (laughs) butter pecan ice cream but with the peanut butter topping sauce oh and i can have never tried that that sounds amazing doesn't it i have not heard of that oh delicious why'd you tell me and it's so good and it's just i can eat as many as i want and then um there are people around me and they're not looking at me because they don't care i'm just like i mean i care because you know i am the center of attention in this um fantasy but they're not looking out of this weird morbid sort of curiosity um they look because my outfit's cute then they go on about their day or somebody will ask me for a picture and they'll say they love my book or um 
And then I leave there and I go to see Demi Lovato in concert. <laughs> and I can get to my um, seat just fine. The line was great. I bought a t-shirt. She was wonderful. I danced until I couldn't dance anymore. I sat down. The seat was comfortable. Hugged my best friend. Left the concert. Came back to the mall. You know, shopped a little bit more. And was able to sit for a while. And just, that would be the perfect day. Oh, wait, no. I forgot. I need cheesecake. So then I go over. <laughs> so I go yes, over. Do. I do. do. I go over like three doors down. There's the cheesecake factory. No line. I get cheesecake. I eat the cheesecake. Then the fantasy's over. I mean, that would be the best day. It yeah, would just be. You know what that day is? That's like any able-bodied person's day if they want it. Right. You can yep. just go wherever you want without right. being tired. I mean, that would be, that would literally be so great for just to like not have my body tire out on me. Right. For at least, you know, three or four weeks, I'd be like, yes, I can do it all. I can, I can run, you know, I can hike. I'm not a hiker. I don't even like to be outside for long distances, but just go with it. Like I, <laughs> I could hike, I could run, I could camp. I'm never camping, but I, no, me either. Ugh, but I could camp. I could yeah. just, you know, I could do all these things, but I think. That would be the best. Yeah. But it would be the best to just not have to worry about being tired, especially when I'm out with my friends and like they're so good to me because they'll like, they'll slow down or like they'll be like, hey, do you need a rest? And I'm like, no, I'm good. <sighs> and they'll be like, Kia, <laughs> we're just, we're going to stop for a second. Like, it's fine. We don't, it's fine. Or like they'll just stop. Yeah. And, and like make up some excuse to, for us, for us to stop so that I can rest. Um, but, it, and I'm so glad that I have that, but I just think that like it would be really nice to know that like I can go into a public space and have a place to rest it, for sure that's comfortable if I need it. Yeah. When I need it, I should say, because I'm always going to need it. Right. So when you say you you would just like people to look at you because your outfit is cute, what? Okay, I don't. I'm trying to figure out how to ask this. How? Just do it. Rip it okay, off like a. I could ask. Well, I'm trying to phrase it to where it, it makes sense. Like, okay, I see you in the mall, and mm -hmm. I'm not like disabled individuals do not freak me out whatsoever in the slightest. Mm -hmm. My instinct is, I see you, I smile at you, and I carry on. Mm -hmm. Um. Is that acceptable? Like, is yes. that because I, I recognize I'm looking at a disabled individual. I also mm -hmm. recognize they're a human being. Mm -hmm. And instead of looking away without a smile, I feel like that's weird. That is weird. Uh, because I would smile at anyone that made eye contact with me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. anyone. Like, if you're caught looking, you, you kind of smile. I mean, that, I'm from the South. <laughs> so at least we do, you know. So that's that's what I do. Is that okay it is for me okay i think you i think some people might say no but for me absolutely because what i just what ends up happening is like if i'm looking at somebody and i think that their outfit is cute mm -hmm. 
which is usually why I'm looking. I'll be like, oh my God, your shoes or whatever thing is so cute. And then I'll smile at them and keep it, keep it going. So I do that all the time. Like if I see somebody whose something looks cute to me, I'm going to tell them simply right. because I know that we live in a world where like people could use more compliments. Um, and I'm not afraid to be like, ooh, that looks so cute. Because even if I don't know the person, like they usually always respond in kind. They'll be like, oh, my God, thank you so much. If it's a dress with pockets, it has pockets. Or if it's, you know, these boots, I got them on sale. They'll say, have a great day. And I'm like, you too. Because I just think that we we should, we should be more um, willing to brighten people's days in that way. I'm not saying it because I think it'll make somebody feel better. I'm just saying it because I think it's true. And there's really no harm in me saying, Hey, that thing you're wearing is cute. Right. Because it is. And I do realize that there's a privilege in that because if a woman is telling me that my jeans are cute or my shirt is cute, it's different to me than if some random guy said it to me. I would okay. feel, I feel less creeped out by the idea of a woman telling me my dress is cute than some random guy being like, Hey, that dress, <laughs> that dress is cute. So there's privilege in me being a woman and saying that to other women or, or something. But I think, um, for me, if something is cute, I'm going to say it. And if somebody is like looking at me and they smile, or whatever and go on about their day I think that's great I'm gonna smile back at you maybe I'll even wave Mm -hmm. if you catch me on the right day (laughs) so so I do I think that for me that's no problem at all yeah you said the word privilege that's an interesting interesting word what is what does the word privilege mean to you privilege means the ability for me it means the ability to navigate the world in some way with a level of acceptance that somebody else doesn't have. So for me, I don't have a lot of privileges. I'm disabled, black and a woman, but I do have some. The first one being that I do have family members who take me to appointments and, and give me rides places when I need them. Um, The other is that I'm a woman who can compliment other women on the street. And, um, I think a lot of the people in my life um, have privileges that I don't have. Like a lot of, like my very best friend in the whole wide world is a white woman. And she has a lot of privileges that I don't have. She is not only able-bodied, but she can navigate the world as a white woman with this perceived innocence that I don't have as a black woman. And um, my friends who are white males have this white male privilege where they are at the top of the food chain. They have this perceived strength and this perceived authority that I'm not given the same gift of when I enter a room, whether that's in a business setting or in any setting at all. All of my able-bodied friends, if I'm with them and somebody is talking about me to them, that's a privilege because they assume that I can't speak for myself. And so they're talking past me, about me, to my friends, even when my friends redirect them and talk to and say, she can speak for herself. I I don't know. Ask her. People are still doing that to me. So I think for me, privilege is is 
both a societal and cultural and every facet thing. So you have privileges that I don't have. You can enter spaces without a worry that I can't enter into um, without that same sense of worry-free, worry-care-free thing. Um, so for me, privilege is a very tough thing for people. It's a tough pill for people to swallow, but we have to in order for true change to occur, but also in order for us to be better people in general. So what do you hope to accomplish with your book? What would, if you had one wish and the genie came out of the lamp? Just one? Be? Just one. You don't get three in my question. Uh, I want And you can't four. ask for more wishes. Okay. Well, I mean, I hope that it helps shift the conversation around what disability is and who disability happen, or who and who can be disabled. That's what I hope. I hope that my book does that. I hope it changes the cultural ideal of what disability is and who can be disabled. And what does health mean to you? I think that's such an interesting buzzword and it's one that I use in this podcast, you know, saying we have the same 24 hours and it's what makes our health, happiness and success. And I feel like that question, and I'm going to direct it at you because I do with every guest, but what does, what does health mean to you? that it might not mean health, to an able-bodied person? Health means the ability to do everything I want to do and everything I have to do without without life getting in the way. Um, I mean, I am relatively healthy most days. I mean, I, I have, you know, chronic migraines and CP pains, et cetera, what, I have, what have you. But I think for me, health means that I can write, you know, essays and articles and interview X, Y, and Z person without losing, you know, part of who I am, that I can do this stuff without forgetting who I am. Health to me means that I can go get ice cream with my friends or go to my friend's house and sit on her couch and meet her babies for the first time. Health means that I can go on cruises with my family or go to New York City and visit my friends and walk around to magazine shops until we find the cover story that I did. Health means that I can be in the world without apology. Mm. I noticed you mentioned ice cream. That was like the third time. I can't ha have that. You can't keep talking about ice cream. I know. And you know why I keep talking I about it? Because cream. I literally, I literally <laughs> talked to my friend earlier. I'm like, I want ice cream so bad. And I was like, watch, I'm going to keep talking about it when I do this <laughs> podcast later. And I'm going to tell her I mentioned it like four times. Butter pecan. I, I can't uh, believe I said pecan. I never say pecan. Pecan. I say pecan. So. You say pecan. Me too. Pecan. Um, but gosh, with the peanut butter. Oh, I oh you have to try it. Said it. Oh, you're terrible. Terrible. Happy um, to help. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so what is something that you do on a daily basis that you think helps you live your best life that contributes to this version of health to make you feel your best and, and your happiness and success? What is something that you do every day that you can kind of point to as, as like a grounding mechanism or something that allows you to be grateful and 
um, helps your day be better? Well, I use two calendars. The one on my phone, hold on, excuse me, the one on my phone, and I have a chalkboard calendar that I, like, had my brother nail into the wall, and so I write out everything that I have to do for the month, and that just helps me stay on track for my, um, you know, schedule. I think that really helps me remember what I have to do. Um, just in layman's terms, like I have PT twice a week, therapy once a week. I have this essay to write. It's due this day. I have this article to write. I'm doing this interview here. I'm being interviewed here, et cetera, et cetera. This photo shoot, blah, 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 blah. So that's the thing that helps me professionally. Personally, the thing that I do every day to kind of center myself and remind myself who I am is listen to music. And so I carve out times in each day to listen to, you know, my shuffle on Apple Music just to, like, calm myself down and, like, recenter and, like, read something. Um, so professionally, it's literally filling out the planner on my iPhone and then the planner on my chalkboard. Mm-hmm. Also, I just – I think that, like – Filling out, I'm at an age now where, shout out to 27, I'm at an age now where filling out planners and stuff, I used to always like fill a planner out and then stop. And I mean, I still do, but the one on my phone and the one like on this chalkboard, filling it out is so fun to me. I get so excited because I think for me, I feel my most, I feel at my best when I'm busy. I really believe that like busy is a blessing. And I know that I just talked about how like we can take rests and we should slow down and we really should. I believe that, but I feel at my best when I'm busy. And so gearing up for the book to come out next month, I'm so excited because I'm doing a lot of traveling and like doing a lot of promo stuff for it. And I'm just really excited at the prospect to see places I've never seen and talk to people who really want to learn more about me and the book and what I want to do, you know, afterward. So I'm just really, I get really excited planning things out for the month and like writing it all down and seeing, you know, that I'm this person who does that now. And I'm this person who has come a really long way from like thinking that I was never going to be anybody to, you know, interviewing Roxane Gay and Brie Larson and having like Jodi Pico blurb my book um, and Deepak Chopra. So I just think that like, it's a reminder that I'm doing something right. You are, you are. Thank you so much, Kia. Thank you for having me. This was such a fun conversation. I truly, truly enjoyed it.